All right, so am I on okay? Can you hear me? Testing? All right. Well, again, welcome. Again, my name's Toby Gaynor. One of the pastors here and uh, our lead pastor, Paul um, Buckley, and his wife Peggy are on uh, vacation celebrating their 35th wedding anniversary. So we bless them and give them good time and rest as they're away. Um, but this morning we're going to continue through our topical sermon series that we're in at the moment on the church. A topical series is a little bit unusual for us. Uh, we normally work through our way through a book of the Bible. Um, but right now, the last few weeks, we've been looking at different aspects of what God's Word says to us about the church, a very important um, subject for us to think about. We've heard up till now around about the church's purposes, uh, where we've considered the walk, the worship, and the witness that we have as Christians. And last week, as Mitch alluded to at the beginning of our service time, we heard from Pastor Paul about the church's power. Um, Paul said the church is the most powerful institution among men. And if you heard his message, you may remember Pastor Paul closed with an illustration of the church, church's power being like being given a very, very powerful pressure washer. And he asked us a series of questions to think about and to consider to help us grow in wielding that power correctly and as God intended, the power to open and to close eternal doors. Now that power is incredible and it's appropriately sobering and daunting. And it reminds me of something that uh, you may know of as the Peter Parker principle. If you're a Marvel Comics fan, you may know this. With great power comes great responsibility. And when we consider the church's purposes and we consider the church's power, it is right for us to question, well, has God given us any instructions what to do? It's all very well telling us and giving us this phenomenal power. It's all very well giving us these purposes. But how do we work that out? How are we to wield this power and use it responsibly? Are we just meant to try stuff and see what works and see what doesn't? That's a little bit scary. Well, God has not left us to ourselves to figure out what to do. He has given us clear instructions and he's given us clear patterns for leading his people and leading us in the purposes and in the power that he's given to his church. The proper word for this leading, this government governing of this power is polity, church polity. It's basically just church organization, church government, both local church and then how churches connect together. And it includes leadership roles and responsibilities within the church. That's all under this heading church polity, and it's what we're going to be looking at and considering this morning. But before we get into that subject, it's helpful to make sure we start in the right foundation and start at the right starting point. And that is to affirm that Jesus Christ is the head of his church. He is the head of the church universally, and he is head of the church locally. Jesus Christ is the head of King of Grace Church. First and foremost, every single one of us are followers of Jesus Christ, your pastors and your elders included. First Peter chapter 2, I'm going to use a whole bunch of different scriptures. Some will go up on the screen, some won't. Uh, so if you keep notes, 
sharpen your pencils. But anyway, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says to us, you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We didn't return to Christ of our own accord. God pursued each and every one of us and brought us into an encounter with the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Peter goes on, he says later on, he says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that you might, he might bring us to God. You and I, we were straying like sheep, and Christ pursued us as the good shepherd and overseer of our souls that he is. Having then saved us and brought us to himself and knit us into a local church family, a body, different metaphors that the scriptures use for a church, he then gives us all different roles and different responsibilities. And today's message, we're focusing on the roles and responsibilities of the church's officers, uh, primarily the pastors, and in a little bit more brevity, we'll talk about deacons as well. Now, it's a subject we do not have time to cover everything that could be said. Um, but if you're pursuing membership for a King of Grace Church, then you'll hear more in our membership classes as well. And I just want to issue a kind of a caution right at the very beginning. We always must be very careful when we're hearing what the Bible teaches us about other people. So if I'm going to give you a message now about what the Bible teaches about pastors, it is very tempting to think and focus primarily on what other people, pastors, should be doing and think less about what we need to do ourselves. So I'm going to try my best to present this morning a biblical picture for what God wants of church officers, but to do so in a way that helps you think about what your responsibilities are as you relate to your pastors as well. And my hope is that this message helps us all in following Christ, but helps particularly the flock in following Christ's under-shepherds as we follow the great shepherd together. So let me pray, and then we'll get into our material. Father God, we thank you for your word to us that instructs us in all things that we need for life and godliness. Thank you for your word that speaks of the church, as we heard last week, of the power you have given to your people, power to represent you and represent Christ our Savior and his gospel. Lord, help us to learn again this morning then how to use this power well and how you have structured the church and given roles and offices to manage this well. Help us to be a church which rightly and faithfully reflects the truths of your word to this world around us and to each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Right, well, we're going to focus eventually on the responsibilities of pastors and help, hopefully set right expectations for pastors as well as perhaps speak to some wrong expectations that we may have. But before we get there, I'm going to cover four brief introductory points and then we get to four responsibilities of pastors. So four and four. And then there's another four at the end, responsibilities of the flock. Okay? So we'll start with four introductory comments. First of all, just to clarify that God intends there to be church officers. In Acts chapter 14, as the Apostle Paul and Barnabas 
are on their first missionary journey through what's now modern-day Turkey. Uh, we read this in Acts chapter 14. It says, When they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The Apostle Paul also instructed Titus in Titus chapter 1. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And more than likely at that point of church history, every town meant one church per town. So again, this is one elders in every church that was being birthed in the New Testament era. We won't spend any more time on this point, but as we read through the book of Acts and the New Testament, we can see that the, just as the church is not man's idea, but God's idea, so God's plan from the very outset is for his churches to have specific leaders. And those, those roles are as elders. And in King of Grace Church, your elders are Pastor Paul as our lead pastor, myself, and then Mike Lilly as well, um, but he typically serving down at King of Peace Church in Salem, Massachusetts. So God intends there to be church officers. That's the first point. Second point is clarifying our terms. If you're uh, familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that the Scriptures use different terms, and they seem to be perhaps talking about different roles or the same role. It's a little unclear. Sometimes we hear references to elders, as we just looked at. Sometimes we'll see references to overseers, sometimes to pastors or shepherds. And again, at this church, and, and quite commonly, uh, we would understand all of those titles to refer to one office, as, and we would typically call that either pastor or elder. A passage just to help see that, 1 Peter chapter 5, the opening verses of 1 Peter 5, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd is the same word as we use for pastor. Exercising oversight. Oversight or being therefore being an overseer. So again, there are other verses we could look at, but that's a, one area where we see all those terms being used at the same time really to apply to one role in the, in the church, and that of elder or pastor. And we'll return to those verses to look at some other things shortly. A third introductory point, um, the Bible also gives us the qualifications and expectations to fill this role. Again, this is not something we make up and figure out for ourselves, but the, the God has given us his word to direct us as to um, who the right people, the right men are to fill these roles. If you're familiar with these, you know that we see these lists in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. But again, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over all of that detail, only to re-emphasize this one point, that, again, elders and their qualifications are not man's idea, and this is the best list that we've come up with, but that this is God's definition and his expectations for the character and the skills that are required to qualify for the role of pastor. But in summary, I will summarize those very briefly, that is to say that 
pastors should be men who are doing well at loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind, loving their neighbor as themselves, and that they've demonstrated the leading and teaching gifts that are necessary for the role. Fourth and final introductory point, just to again ground us in our church's understanding of elders and eldership, is that the Bible also guides us in how elders are appointed. Um, Elders are essentially raised up through and from the local church. They're raised up, they're trained, they're examined by the existing elders within a church, and they are affirmed, or they are to be affirmed, by the whole congregation. Now, that isn't to say that local churches are completely autonomous, in the sense of we we do have connections to other like-minded churches around us. And in King of Grace Church, we are connected in through a family of churches, a denomination called Trinity Fellowship Churches. And it's a very meaningful, though it is a voluntary connection, but it's a very meaningful one where we draw accountability and support within the broader network of Christ's church. It serves us and helps us in many different ways. Some of them are uh, just a few of them. They help us with maintaining a consistent level of standards for ordaining elders. Uh, They add accountability, both for the elders and for the congregations, in holding elders accountable in their teaching and in their walk. Um, Perhaps most excitingly as well is that they help us to accomplish the mission of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ on a far bigger scale than we could do if we were by ourselves. Again, all of these things we could talk in great detail. Every one of those could have a message in and of itself. But you will hear more if you're pursuing membership as well. And there is a membership class, I think, coming up in the winter, although the details aren't confirmed yet. That's all background. Hopefully that helps at least frame where, at King of Grace Church, where we come from in understanding uh, elders. But what I really wanted to spend time on this morning is understanding what the Scripture lays out for us in terms of the main responsibilities of the pastoral role. We could perhaps frame this in many different ways, um, but I'm going to split them into four main categories. In reality, exercising pastoral care mingles all of these together, but for the sake of clarity, I hope, uh, we'll break them into four different sections. And those sections is that the the pastor is to lead, the pastor is to feed, and to protect and to care. We lead, we feed, we protect, and we care. And we're going to consider each of those in turn alongside perhaps wrong ideas that you may have come across or heard about or perhaps even hold to some extent. So let's start with the first one, and that is that the pastor is to lead the flock, not entertain the crowd. The pastor is to lead the flock, not entertain the crowd. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Again, verses we've looked at, but a little bit uh, longer example here. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. 
So again, I'm just picking out verses that as used as an example, but there are other references we could look at. But hopefully you see there that as, uh, from those texts that the pastors are called to govern, to make decisions, to provide vision, to address problems, give counsel, and correction. Um, it may be given corporately from the pulpit, as I am right now. It may be in a small group context. It may be in a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, or, a, or a counseling situation as problems or needs or just opportunities arise. But pastors are given the responsibility to lead the flock, and we're called to do that intentionally through careful consideration and a prayerful consideration of the flock that God has given to us. Um, but we're also given the responsibility, as you saw in that, uh, those verses from Peter, um, that we're also given the, the intention to lead by example, through the example of our faith and through the example of our life. So as a flock, you are called to follow in the pastor's direction as well as imitate their lives. Now, there can be general skepticism and suspicion of authority in our culture today, and that's at least in part fueled by various failures of key leaders in pretty much every sphere of our lives. But that's not unique to the 21st century. Uh, first century Christians had plenty of poor examples around them, poor of leaders, poor by God's standards at least. And that's why Peter instructs elders not to follow those poor examples of leadership by using their role to domineer over the flock. Rather, pastors are given the example of Christ Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the flock. Pastors are to follow the servant leadership model of Christ as we seek to lead the flock into our, in our care. Now, one specific point of application that I wanted to, to call out at this point um, I've heard on occasion, I'm sure Pastor Paul has heard this on occasion, something along the lines of, Toby, you are so busy, I did not want to bother you with something. And I am incredibly grateful for the heart and the consideration that you have behind those sorts of statements. And I'm sure Pastor Paul is as well. And it is right for you to think carefully about things you might want to bring to your pastors because it may be something that you can take care of by yourself, by the grace of God. It, but it may be something that you do need to bring to your pastors. Or, as we'll see a little bit later on, it may be something that you can bring to one of your other brothers and sisters in the church. And allow them to come alongside you and help you. But if you conclude, in thinking that through and praying about that, that you need help from your pastors. then can I ask you please don't take the responsibility of leadership out of our hands by not coming to us. Part of our leadership responsibility is that we need to prioritize care for God's flock. And in order to do that, we need to know what care is needed. So we might exercise that care in different ways. Uh, we may choose to provide care and, and direct care and counsel directly from us, but we may also choose to, to delegate and direct that care to come from others within the body so that the gifts, the many gifts that are within this church can be used as God intended. But we do need to know how we can lead appropriately as God has called us to. 
The pastor is called to lead the flock, but not to entertain the crowd. Pastor Paul covered something similar in an earlier message on the church when he used one of the metaphors for the church is that the church is a temple, a temple for worship, not a tourist attraction where we simply come to observe. And I think it's worth reiterating that point here because we can fall into a similar mindset with how we think particularly about pastors. You and I, we are surrounded by an entertainment culture. It is an obvious culture in some ways. There's so many opportunities to get entertainment directly. But even things that are not so obvious are still fed to us in a form for our entertainment. Even watching the news or getting news is given to us in a form of entertainment. We are, generally speaking, passive observers not active engages. Now, don't get me wrong, entertainment has its right place. Uh, it's a gift, it can be used rightly, but it is grossly distorted in our society today. And in particular, uh, the entertainment culture breeds celebrities, and celebrities may use social platforms, and they may, they may boast about how many followers they have. God does not intend Christians to be followers of pastors like that. He does not intend for you to come to church on occasion and to enjoy listening to the pastor, but not listening to follow where he's directing you to go, listening because it's a fun way to pass the time. And you do not want to relate to your pastor that way, if you are a Christian. You do not want to be simply a face in the crowd, but one whom the pastor cannot pick out if you are in danger or if you are in trouble. You want a pastor shepherd who knows his flock and cares for your flock and who will leave the 99 and pursue the one when he sees them in danger. But to do that, you need to be known, you need to be engaged, and you need to be following. Very early in our married lives, before we had kids and when we lived in England, Kelly and I uh, took a short vacation on a working farm in a part of uh, England called uh, Lancashire. And then one afternoon, um, we were out walking and we observed the, the farmer um, uh, shepherding his sheep using uh, the use of a sheepdog and a series of whistles to bring his, his flock of sheep uh, where he wanted them to go. We were up on one side of a valley, he was kind of down the valley and, and we were watching this all play out on the other side of the, the, uh, the hill in front of us. It was an, an amazing spectacle of how the shepherd exercised tremendous skill in directing the sheep wherever they needed to go to provide them shelter, uh, food, provision, protection. He knew how to take care of them. But through all of that, Kelly and I didn't move one little bit, even though we were observing the whole thing. The shepherd's leadership had no effect on us other than to entertain us. We were passive observers. We were not active followers like his sheep. And our 
passivity revealed that we weren't part of the flock and that that man was not our shepherd. Be wary of viewing pastors as people to watch from a distance, merely to enjoy watching what they do, but not actually following how they are seeking to lead you. In a culture that puts such emphasis on entertainment and the stirring of excitement and emotion in the moment, it requires intentional self-discipline and the power of the Holy Spirit to actively follow biblical pastoral leadership that seeks to faithfully lead according to God's word. That leads us to the second category of the pastor's responsibility. The pastor is to feed with the word of truth, not to pamper popular passions. Feed with the word of truth, not pamper popular passions. Try saying that quickly. We see this from, again, the scriptures. The apostle Paul directed Titus, Titus chapter 1. He says he must hold, speaking of a pastor, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Similarly, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The pastor is responsible to feed the flock with the life-sustaining word of God. Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the pastor's duty is to serve up a healthy, balanced diet of God's word through preaching and teaching. And just like any good, balanced diet, there are going to be some meals which go down very easily, and you want to come back for seconds. And there's going to be some meals that are served with Brussels sprouts or broccoli or cabbage or whatever it is that for you instinctively is not going to go down well. But nevertheless, you need to remember and know that it's good for you. And it's served because the person serving you loves you and cares for you and knows what's good for you. God tells us ahead of time that we should expect his words to us to sometimes sound like teaching, training, encouraging, exhorting. Mm, they sound tasty. But sometimes it's going to sound like reproof, correction, rebuke. I'm not so sure about those. It is the repastor's responsibility to deliver all of this diet faithfully, lovingly, gently, but firmly. Because that is what our good, loving, and holy Heavenly Father knows that we need. It's why typically, as I said at the outset, our preaching series typically works through whole books of the Bible. We don't want to pick and choose what we hear from God's Word and either intentionally or unintentionally avoid the bits we don't like. We want to hear from the whole counsel of God with the content and the context as God intended and preserved for his people to receive. So you should expect from your pastors to hear messages with, with, with parts of them that take a little extra chewing to go down. 
And in those instances, I want to encourage you to, first and foremost, pray, pray, pray and reflect, and then study the scriptures for yourself. Make sure that your indigestion is not because the word has been served up incorrectly, but because it's God's having God's intended effect in correcting and shaping you more and more into the mind and likeness of Jesus Christ. And having done that, if you do think there was a mistake in the kitchen, then let us know. We want to learn. We, don't, we strive to be faithful, but we can get it wrong. So speak, let, let us know. But if you never hear something from God's word, either from the pulpit or in counseling, that challenges you, if you're, or if you're seeking a pastor who's teaching only ever soothes over your soul, watch out, because you're in danger. Pastor Tim Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshipping an idealized version of yourself. The pastor is not to pamper popular passions. In the passage we've already looked at in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul goes on to give further instructions. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accum accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we are all born with itching ears that are only soothed by words that feed my self-centered passions. Only by the redeeming and transforming grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ do I receive a new heart and a new mind, one capable of receiving and responding rightly to God's words to us. But there still remains this tug towards self. And what we choose to listen to will either starve those passions or they will feed them. And the pastor is responsible to feed, the, the, feed us with the soul-nourishing word of God, not to cater to the passions of the world or our flesh. Third responsibility that we see in the scriptures, a pastor is to protect the flock not to be Superman. Titus chapter 1. He must hold, the pastor must hold to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they were upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. The Apostle Paul writes also to the, uh, or spoke, said to the Ephesian elders as he was leaving them in Acts chapter 20, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Pastors are to know God's word and sound doctrine that it contains so that we can teach and feed the flock as we've seen. But we're also to be well versed in the truth 
so that we can protect the sheep from falsehood and attack. The pastor is to be on guard against false teachers and teaching that would injure God's people and lead them astray. False teaching that could come from outside the church or even from within. The pastor is meant to be, must be willing to stand between God's flock and those seeking to harm them. And we do so not trusting in our own abilities to defend the flock, but trusting entirely on the Lord's provision. Like David being willing to stand between Goliath and God's people and say, the Lord is the one who will deliver me. Now, this defense and protection of God's people does carry with it another potential misunderstanding of the pastor's role and our expectations. Maybe perhaps particularly tempting in our celebrity society saturated with so many superheroes. But it's a temptation to view the pastor as impervious and impenetrable to harm. And also see the pastor as incapable of falling short in our moments of need. Essentially seeing pastors as Superman. But I have some bad news for you. Wearing these things is as close as I come to being Clark Kent. And I can guarantee you that I will disappoint you if your expectation of your pastor or of any pastor is that we will have no weaknesses or never let you down. The biblical picture of any pastor, just as with any person, is not that we are unbreakable supermen. But like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says that we are to display that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So don't panic or lose heart if and when your pastors demonstrate weakness, fallibility, or even sin. That's not to excuse sin. The Bible takes extremely seriously when pastors fail. But it also directs us how we should take that very, very carefully and how it should be addressed. First Timothy chapter 5 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But as for those who persist in sin... Rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. But I'm not talking here about persistent, egregious, or unrepentant sin. I'm simply talking about what the Apostle Paul speaks of as weakness. Again, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, God speaks to him directly and said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. Your pastors are to protect the flock, but there is only one true hero and savior, and that is Jesus Christ. And both by our effectiveness to help you, and also by our inefficiencies and failings to help you, those both should point to Jesus Christ. The last responsibility we'll talk about this morning is that a pastor is to care for everyone, but not to carry everything. 
Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Again, speaking to the Ephesian elders, the Apostle Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Hebrews chapter 13 also says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Pastors are to know and they are to feel how precious and serious it is to have a portion of Christ's flock entrusted to our care. It is a responsibility that can only be carried out by the grace of God. And pastors are to care for every single one of the sheep in their flock. There is not one to be missed because each and every one of them Each and every one of you is precious to the great shepherd who gave himself fully for your rescue. But we must be careful not to equate a pastor's care for everyone in the flock with then the pastor being responsible to carry everything that the flock may need. Jesus himself, on many occasions, took leave of the work in one town to go and bring the message of hope and salvation to another town. He chose how to prioritize and how to discharge his father's work. And pastors are not meant to carry every single need brought before us, like a a one-man band or a Swiss army knife that covers all of God's needs of his people. At the end of the day, we are just one member within the diverse body of Christ. And so God has actually given us other means to exercise this care as a church family. And he's given us particular instructions in the scriptures as to how that's carried out. And here, the first point I'd make there is that he's given us deacons. So we see this first in Acts chapter 6, where the apostles are recognizing and struggling with a new issue in the early church. Uh, We see in Acts chapter 6, we read, Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We see in that passage that the pastor is meant to concentrate his care in the realm of the word, in preaching, teaching, and counsel, and as well as prayer for the flock. It's not that he shouldn't do anything else, um, but God intends to use others within the church to distribute this burden of care and its different aspects to others in the body. Again, in the same way, we don't have time to go into great detail, but the, the scriptures give us qualifications for deacons as well. You can see those in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, But all the care uh, that we're provided to the flock, it's all different kinds. It isn't necessarily just in the case of uh, physical, practical care and comfort. Um, God provides deacons and raises up people to care in different specific ways to address the church's needs. So, for example, in our own church, 
We have deacons that cover organizational care in our children's ministry. We have ones who provide help in our financial management, in our treasury. We have those who lead and care to help and care for us well in organizing our music teams. And we're seeking to add deacons in, in other realms as well. There's other ways in which deacons can function, not simply just in providing perhaps what we would think of as immediate care uh, in our needs. So God provides care through deacons as well. There is another aspect in which God intends care to function within the church, and that's what we might call every member ministry. Everyone is to serve and extend God's care in one way or another, again, to different degrees and to different ways based on the gifts and the skills and other things that God has given to us. We see this in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Apostle Paul writes, he said he gave the church the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We see there the goal there is to equip who? Equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then in terms of gifting, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read, Now there are various varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The pastor is to care for everyone, but God intends those cares to be carried by various people within the whole body of the church. So the pastor is to lead, feed, protect, and care for God's people. Let me close with just four brief, much briefer, responsibilities for the flock. First responsibility we see in Hebrews 13, and it is to obey and to submit. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You may have heard the expression, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. Well, God has given pastors responsibilities to discharge whether the flock likes it or not. Both pastors and the members of the flock are then accountable to God in this way. And it is my joy as a pastor of King of Grace to serve and lead you. Thank you for making being a pastor, a pleasure and a joy because you listen and you submit to your elders. But I don't take that for granted as if that's how it should always be. I know that this in reflects an intentional decision and action on the part of each member of this church to humbly submit to the leading and teaching of your pastors. So thank you. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't ask questions or you can't disagree with us. But for most things, as long as we're not leading you into heresy, God calls you to submit to your pastors. 
Second responsibility for the flock is to honor your pastors. Second, uh, sorry, First Timothy chapter 5 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. For the scripture says, you, can, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. This verse and others uh, in a similar context lead us to the flock is to honor pastors, honor, you, honor them in your hearts, in how you think, and how you speak about your elders. But this verse also gives some practicalities as to what that may look like. In this case, it speaks particularly of honoring through financial stewardship. And again, I can only commend so many in King of Grace Church for giving regularly of your tithes and offerings. These are used to serve in many different ways. Obviously, they cover things like building costs. But they are used to provide an income to Pastor Paul, for example, so that he can dedicate himself full-time to the service of God's people in the ways that we've considered in this message. On a personal note, um, Paul and I do not know what God has for me. Many of you know I'm bivocational. I have a full-time job. Uh, we're both very eager for me to be able to serve this church full-time and dedicated as well. But our church is not in a financial position to fund another pastor. But whether it is to fund me or another elder, I'd be very happy for seeing somebody else being able to dedicate themselves to serving this church as we've seen. I am excited to think about what could be done with another pastor serving this body full-time. Regardless of what God chooses to do, God's word is clear on one particular way in which we are to honor our pastors with appropriate financial support. And perhaps for some of you this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, is God's broccoli for you this morning. A corrective to digest for your good. A third way in which you can uh, respond to the responsibilities of pastors is you can pray. And so many of you do, and I am so grateful. But you can pray for us, and you can pray for more. First Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul commends the church, you must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. I know Paul and I will testify that we are fully dependent on God's power and on God's grace to work, and he loves to provide. We love to come to the Lord in prayer, but he loves to provide in response to his children's prayers and the prayers of his people. So we ask and ask you, thank you for how you do pray for us. Please continue to pray. But you can also pray that God would raise up more as well. Matthew 9, Jesus, says, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I encourage you, pray for more men to be raised up as elders to serve, perhaps in this church, perhaps to serve out in the mission field of New England and beyond to spread the word and the good news of Jesus Christ. Last and finally, a way for the flock 
the responsibilities you have is to do the work of the ministry yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, as we saw already, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So many of you in King of Grace Church serve in so many different ways using the gifts that God has given you. But if you don't yet, let me encourage you to get stuck in. Pray, but don't worry if you're not sure how to serve. Try something, you'll figure it out and we'll help you figure it out as well. But God is instructing you, calling you. If you're part of this church, then God has something for you to do. In conclusion, perhaps this message has given you something to think about by way of a correction in your understanding of a pastor's role and responsibilities. It may be to press into something that is a pastor's responsibility, something you didn't really appreciate before, perhaps to protect or to provide care in a particular way. Maybe it is to correct some wrong thinking, uh, some wrong expectations of your pastor's. Either way, I'll close in prayer. But let me encourage you and exhort you to follow Christ's under-shepherds as we follow the great shepherd together.